0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O King shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three days a week, three times a week, He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until some down to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed, and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom... People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel
1: prospered during the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Good morning, let me add my welcome to Andy's, it's great to have you here this morning, and as we turn back to that reading from Daniel chapter 6, um, if you have a Bible handy, do you keep it open at page uh, 890 in the Pew Bibles, and in the little bundle you received on the way in, you'll find a sermon outline, you might find that also helpful to have to hand over the next few minutes. But as we turn back to God's Word, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, the voice of our shepherd given to us to guide us. Please help us this morning to trust in you alone by trusting in your voice, in your word. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Well, as Andy mentioned, over the summer, we're looking at a number of famous stories from the Bible, uh, famous often amongst um, Sunday schools with young children, they are brilliant stories, but often we think they are just for the younger ones, but we miss out on a great deal, for they are, of course, for all ages. And this morning we come to a wonderful story, Daniel and the Lions Then, and the assumption I think as we come to the story is that Daniel is a young man, I was flicking through a well-known children's story Bible this week to get me some help in preparation and uh, maybe some of you have this uh, at home, and I opened it at Daniel's story. And um, Daniel is, is clearly a young man. I say that because he's got hair, uh, and it's still brown, and um, he, his hair is sticking straight up. Clearly he's signed up some hair product at work in this uh, young man. And um, with the um, Daniel's young view of the lion's den story... It's uh, easy to think that this kind of radical, crazy lifestyle is, is for, for, for young people, um, the kind of people who, who like a kind of radical, scary sort of life, the kind of people who go on crazy gap years and skydiving. But uh, a quick glance in the context uh, helps us to understand that this is not a story about young men. We know from uh, chapter 1 that Daniel has been taken from his home in Jerusalem. He's a Jew, and he's now in captivity in a foreign land in Babylon. And um, he was taken, uh, chapter 1, in AD 605. We know that from the the dates of the kings in chapter 1 of Daniel. But at the end of Daniel 5, just before our reading, we discovered that there's been a a change in leadership, that um, the king of the Babylonians has has been killed, and Darius is the new king, the king of the Medes. He's taken over the empire, and we know from history that that took place in 539 BC. And uh, if your maths isn't brilliant, then that's just over 65 years. Daniel has been in exile the whole time living in the Babylonian Empire. And we don't know exactly when Daniel first came from Jerusalem, but he must be nearly, what, in his 80s by now. Daniel uh, is more like a man with a a, a sort of balding hair, stooped over his walking stick, a hearing aid and glasses, uh, shuffling forward through life. And I'm not looking at anyone here. Um, Just looking at my notes. And laughing aside... Chronologically, this is the last episode we have recorded from the life of Daniel in the Bible. Uh, For 65 years, he has fought the fight, he has run the race, he has stood firm for his God in a pagan land, he's been persecuted and mocked for decades, and as he comes to his retirement age, you might forgive him for thinking, it's a bit of me time for Daniel, a chance to sit back and relax and put the slippers on and read a good book and, and step back from frontline action. But here in Daniel 6, we see an extraordinary example of what it looks like to live for the Lord through every age and stage of life. And our question this morning for all of us, what does a genuine and persevering faith look like in a hostile world? I wonder if many of us here today think about our retirement in terms of a chance to sit back a bit in life and to take things easy and to to just recover and to enjoy a bit of space. And there are some here today who are of the age of Daniel. Maybe we have fought the fight and run the race for 65 years or more. I guess the question for us is are we still going? How does our faith compare to the faith of Daniel? Of course, there are others here this morning who are much younger than Daniel. Uh, Retirement might feel like a long time off, but I do wonder what kind of Christian are we becoming? In Hebrews chapter 11, we are told that Daniel and the lion's den is a great example of faith for believers of every age and stage. And so even if retirement feels a long way off, here is the kind of person God would have us be. As we dive into the story, our first point is there in the handout. We see in this story the arrogance of a worldly ruler. Darius is the new king of the massive and thoroughly pagan empire of the Medes and Persians and straight away, verse one, he sets up his new government. He has 120 satraps and three administrators or presidents and the old man, Daniel, is one of the three presidents and he is very good at his job, verse three. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom now just pause there for a moment. This description of Daniel is quite extraordinary. He's in his 80s, and yet look how industrious he is. Remember, Daniel, he's in a foreign land, far from home, serving the very people who destroyed his homeland. And even his enemies, those most likely to spot the flaws, well, look at verse 4. They tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but... They were unable to do so. It's an extraordinary snapshot of a faithful man. I wonder how many of us could claim to have such a reputation amongst work, um, amongst our colleagues. Why does Daniel live like this? We might think he's done enough over the years. He's earned the right to sit back and relax. But even the pagan king Darius knows why Daniel works so hard. Now, later on in verse 16, Darius says this of David, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. There's the key. For Daniel, there was no sacred, secular divide in his world. He didn't worship God on a Sunday and then go out to do his work the rest of the week for his own plans and purposes. No, Daniel's whole life was an act of service to God. I imagine many of us would like to have a good reputation amongst the people we work with or our neighbours or the people we meet at the school gate. Uh, We want people to think that we are competent, a a safe pair of hands, and that's 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 fair enough. But I do wonder why we want that kind of reputation. Is it for our own glory? I wonder how many of our colleagues or friends would summarise our work and life as serving God Continually. Notice also that Daniel never retired from serving God. I have heard a number of people over the years tell me that after a long a life of hard work, raising family, long hours in the office, they are looking forward to retirement and a bit of me time. A chance to pursue those hobbies that they couldn't pursue when life was busy, a chance to travel, explore the world, things that weren't possible before. But for Daniel, his old age was not a bit of me time, but rather a time to go on serving his God. Now, I'm not saying that we should all aim to run a country in our retirement, Uh, thankfully. Um, Daniel was a particularly gifted man in a particular time in history, so I'm not trying to put that burden on us, but the question is for us, are we willing to go on serving God through all our years that he gives us? We might think that Daniel's hard work and faithful service would win him much praise from his colleagues, but it doesn't, for Daniel lives in a hostile world, and whether it was through jealousy or through some fear that this foreigner was getting far too much power in the Persian Empire, the officials around him plot to bring him down, and because Daniel has been so open about his serving God at work, the officials realize, verse 5, that the their best chance to get some mud to stick is through Daniel's allegiance to his God and to the law of his God. And so they hatch a plan, and it's a plan that only works because of the the arrogance of Darius. Verse six, they, they start by buttering Darius up. O King Darius, live forever. It's a good start. Then verse seven, we have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And Darius loves it because he is an arrogant king and he loves the thoughts of a whole empire giving him that much prominence in their lives. And so not for the first time, the people of God are faced with a dilemma. How do they remain faithful to God in an arrogant and hostile world? Exodus 20, you'll see it on the handout. It's very clear that uh, the people of God ought ought to have no gods before the Lord. Back in Daniel chapter three, Shadrach and his uh, friends uh, faced a threat from the the king Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He uh, commanded all peoples to bow down and worship him. And uh, the people of God then had to decide if they would obey the pagan king to bow down and worship. The pressure then in Daniel three was a pressure to... Pursue a particular course of action. You must do this thing. But here in Daniel 6, very similar kind of story, but here in 6, the pressure is different. The pressure here is to stop doing something he used to do. Daniel just needs to stop praying for 30 days and he'll be just fine. Sadly, many of us would find that far too easy a command to keep for 30 days. But I reckon this pressure in Daniel 6 is far more subtle and devastating. Imagine um, in the office uh, on Tuesday, not tomorrow, and our boss announces that um, we all have to bow down and worship a golden shrine at the front of the office. Now, I reckon most of us would be able to say, no, that's ridiculous, even if we were under threat of losing our job. But if our boss said to us, Look, you're not allowed to go around offering to pray for people when they're sick. You're not allowed to talk about Christianity Explored and pass out flyers to church events. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus during your coffee breaks. It's just not on here. And if you do it, there'll be consequences. I reckon then we'd find it just very easy just to be quiet, just to step back, to stop doing something we are called to do. That's the subtle pressure of Daniel 6. It's the sin of omission, not the sin of commission. And I think as God's people, for as long as we live in an arrogant and hostile world, we'll need to be on our guard against both. So the trap is set. What does Daniel do? Well, next we see in the handout, the response of a faithful man. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned what the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. What's very clear Daniel disobeys the edict. But he does it in a rather bizarre way. He does it in a very public way in front of the window, and he does it by praying towards Jerusalem three times a day. Why does he break the command that way? Because back in 1 Kings 8, many centuries earlier, we find the answer. Actually, if you have a Bible, do flick back to 1 Kings chapter 8. It's on page 346 in the few Bibles. Keep a finger in Daniel 6. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, page 346. Many centuries earlier, when King Solomon was... Dedicating the temple in Jerusalem. He prayed a wonderful prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. And we pick up the prayer at verse 48. Praying to God about the people. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of the enemies. who took them captive. And pray to you towards the land you gave their fathers. Towards the city you have chosen. And the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause. It's an incredible prayer written centuries earlier, but Daniel knows his Bible. He knows that if God's people find themselves in exile, and if they repent, and if they turn to God and trust, they are to to physically look towards Jerusalem, where God dwells, and pray in that direction, and God will hear their prayer, and he will rescue them. And so back in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel hears the edict of a human king, what does he do? He goes back to the word of God and stands on the promises of the commands of his true God. When the heat is on, Daniel is more concerned about the word and promises of God than the commands and edicts of another human. And Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that we are to be like Daniel that, we are, that this is the kind of faith we are to have in God's promises. Uh, maybe for us, it will mean that we do go on praying in certain contexts, even though we're not meant to. Uh, maybe uh, in the years to come, we will face issues around freedom of speech in this country, being, being told to stop talking about Jesus for the sake of political correctness. But we must go on speaking about the one true way to the Father, Jesus Christ, alone. I don't know about you, but as I look at the life and faithfulness of Daniel, it's, it's easy to feel inadequate looking at my own heart and life. How could we ever be like Daniel? Well, I think verse 10 gives us two crucial insights that will really help. Here's one insight from that, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, as he prays, Daniel knows where his true home is. This business of looking towards Jerusalem, it's not just faithfulness to uh, 1 Kings 8, but I think it's also a very physical reminder that Daniel knew that Babylon was not his home. It would have been so easy for Daniel. He's been there 65 years. That's a long time to live in one place. And it happens, doesn't it? You get used to a place over those years. And then, of course, there's Daniel's success. He's been brilliant, hasn't he? in his role as president and you can imagine he's got a pretty good bank account he's got a good name and reputation amongst these people and you can imagine Daniel thinking you know it wasn't my first choice but this new place has become a pretty good home and actually I can see a way forward where I can I can be happy here for the rest of my days and so why go on praying why not step back and just make the best of this home it's it's pretty good And sadly, over the years, I've seen many Christians who were once very clear-sighted about how this world is only a temporary abode. And our, our real home is in the new creation, the new Jerusalem. I've seen many Christians who used to be so clear-sighted. When they get a job and um, the, the, the responsibilities and pressure of life come flooding in and they, the, the salary rises and the reputation increases and the power at work goes up and up, They make their home here, now, in the present. They get used to it. They live for it. They enjoy it. They think it's what they need. And their vision is clouded. And when Christians become overly preoccupied with the things of this world, thinking it is our home, then we begin to think less of the home to come. And when that happens, when something comes to threaten this home now, we won't allow the threat to stand. We'll do anything to keep this home secure because we don't care about that home to come. And as Daniel turns his face towards Jerusalem, he remembers that his home is there. It's where God dwelt in the temple. And Daniel knows that nothing in this world beats being in a relationship with the one true God. And for us Christians here this morning, as good as this world can be at times... Nothing in this world compares with the joy of being in a relationship with the one true God. And nothing compares with the thought of one day being with him face to face in the new creation, our eternal home, knowing that we are beyond suffering and tears. That's our true home, not this life here now. And there may be some here this morning who are not Christians. It's great to have you here this morning. And I wonder if anyone's ever put it to you this way, that's the heart of the Christian hope, um, the, the good news of Christianity is that there is something better in this world than a good career and bricks and mortar and power and reputation. These things are so fleeting. There's something much better. There is on offer a relationship with the one true God who welcomes those who trust in him and who prepares for each one of them an eternal home where there'll be no tears and no Uh, pain and sorrow. There's Daniel's home, and that's why he prayed. But also there is Daniel's ongoing prayer life. That's the second thing that helps him, I think. He was able to pray in the crisis because he had learned to pray before the crisis. Did you see at the end of verse 10? This habit of praying three times a day facing Jerusalem, he'd been doing this all along. It wasn't a new thing for him. And this is remarkable because Daniel was a prayer even when life was going well. You know, it was going really well, wasn't it? He being promoted and honored, successful. And I know in my own heart that if in moments life goes well and I feel on top of things, I know my prayer life so often struggles because I don't think I need any help. I think I've got this life sorted. But Daniel knew that his true security, his true home was not in Babylon, not in himself. And so he was a prayer. That was his life. Coming before his God every day, committing his life into God's hands. We're not told what he prayed about, but I'm sure he prayed about such things as, Dear God, please help me not to think Babylon is my true home. Please help me to keep on looking back to Jerusalem, longing for your presence. Please help me when the moment comes to stand faithful to you and not to buckle under pressure. I imagine that's what he was praying. And if we want to be Christians who stand firm when the pressure comes, we need to be praying now before the pressure comes so that our hearts are clear on where our rescue and security lies. Daniel's home and Daniel's prayers, two key ingredients in his faithful response to King Darius and the threats. We know what happens next. Darius is, um, Daniel is caught in and found guilty of breaching the decree. And so verse 16, Daniel, Zimmer frame, and all, is thrown into the den. And we come to our final point. The rescue of the true king. As a stone is rolled over the, the mouth of the den, we're longing to know what happens inside the den. We want some sort of webcam feed set up to give us a, a picture of what's happening inside. But the camera stays not with Daniel, but with Darius. And we follow not Daniel's night, but Darius's night. He cannot sleep, he cannot eat, just like the lions. And he's tossing and turning troubled because even though he is the king of the biggest empire in the world, he is a weak king, When it comes to matters of life and death, he has no real power. He cannot rescue Daniel. He's helpless and he's anxious. What will happen? Well, the moment comes, the morning arrives, and Darius rushes down to the den and cries out, verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Reminder, isn't it, that uh, Darius can't rescue Daniel, but his God can. And the greatest authorities that we can think of today, presidents, prime ministers, dictators, our bosses at work, they have no real power over us, not ultimate power, not power of life and death. The weak and stuttering Darius shows us that. But there is a true king in this passage, who has power over life and death, and he rescues Daniel. The stone is rolled away from the den, and out walks an unmarked Daniel, because, verse 23, he had trusted in his God. The rescue of the true king, not Darius, but the God in whom Daniel trusted. And Darius is right, verse 26 I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. There's the true king who rescues the people who trust in him. We are seeing here that the God of Daniel, the God of the Bible, the one true God is able to rescue his people from death, from any threat in this world. But we might be thinking, wonderful for Daniel. I'm thrilled that he escaped that feline threat. But we can think of many other Christians who have stood firm but who have died. Think of one well-known story of Jim Elliot and those missionaries who went to Ecuador, five young men to preach the gospel, and within a number of weeks, they were murdered by the very people they went to speak to, died, even though they were great men of faith. We could think of many other stories, I'm sure. So how should we understand this rescue for Daniel? Because just because Daniel was rescued from that threat doesn't guarantee that we'll be rescued from a particular threat today or tomorrow or this week. What does it mean for us? Well, I think the story of Daniel, whilst being an example of faith, which it is, it's also a shadow of a greater glory to come. And We've seen people enjoying shadows this week uh, in, in the US with the, uh, the solar eclipse. Uh, people have been looking at a shadow of the eclipse on some paper to understand what's happening above them because it's too bright to look that way. Well, Well, Daniel's a bit like a shadow that points us to a greater glory to come. And of course, that greater glory was all to do with another man who came to this world. Like Daniel, he was a faithful man who did nothing wrong, a man of great integrity. Like Daniel, he was falsely accused by hostile people. Like Daniel, he was put on trial by a weak king who was unable to rescue him. And like Daniel, he was put into a den-like tomb. But like Daniel, there was a moment of resurrection life, when the stone was rolled away and the next morning dawned and out from the tomb walked a living man. I am, of course, talking about Jesus Christ. And on the cross, God demonstrates his ultimate rescue as he raises his son from the dead. And for all those who trust in Jesus, our victory, our rescue has been won for us on that cross and in that resurrection And we might experience in this life small victories, small rescues. But they are nothing compared to the ultimate and final and eternal rescue won for us on the cross. And because the tomb is empty, because there is life beyond the grave, it means that even if we do experience the terror of our physical death, we will be with our savior in the new creation, in our eternal final home. For there is a king who saves his people and so the story of Daniel gives us great confidence in the rescue of the true king. He will never abandon his people. He will always keep us. The decree that Darius issues at the end of our reading, it's also a shadow of what happens in response to the victory of Christ. The book of Revelation talks about how people from every nation's and languages and tongues and backgrounds will gather around the throne praising God for his great victory in Christ. And one day we will be caught up in that throng and every knee will bow and we will worship the one who has been able to rescue his people. And so as we look at the story of Daniel and we see a, a life of faith lived to the end in a hostile world, here is to be our faith and we have a God in whom it is worth putting our times and seasons into his hands and clinging on to him for all our days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Daniel 6 prepares us to expect hostility from uh, an arrogant world opposed to you. And we thank you also that Daniel 6 gives us wonderful examples of how to stand firm as your people in this world. And Father, we do thank you this morning for the full and final victory of Christ over every threat and enemy. And we thank you that you always rescue your people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.